Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And Mr. Kelly, before you get out... Uh, you know, we've got a big day today. Yeah. Groundhog Day. Yeah. We've got a big day tomorrow, Super Bowl. How, what? Isn't Super Bowl tomorrow? I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know either. I don't know. <laughs> well, how about February 5th? Do you know what that day is? February 5th. It's the State of the Union. No, that's not what that's I'm thinking. That's not it? No. Uh, I don't know. It's the Chinese Lunar New Year. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So how do you celebrate that? Well, you got to get a lot of fireworks. And you got to sort of let them explode. Well, okay. We could do that. I got some. Do you? They've been sitting around for about four years now. <laughs> I've been waiting for the, the Blues to win the Cup so I could shoot them off and they're just getting old. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so you can do it on on the 5th. Okay. And it's, this year yeah. is the year of the pig. So Hey, perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I love pigs. I love pigs. So I was they just tastes good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they are. Yeah. But anyway, I just was curious if you knew what the fifth was. I did not. Oh. I'm sorry. Not very smart. I'm, I'm like the fog this morning, just a little dense. <laughs> well, I won't press you anymore. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> yes, folks. On Saturday mornings, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about the impact of what's going on in your backyard, your front yard, your side yards, your specialty garden space. How about uh, the taste of the tropics, meaning your house plants? What is potting mix versus potting soil? How to improve your soil, like Mr. Kelly's getting a brand new rototiller. Wow! How about shearing and pruning and removing bugs and diseases and things like that? And the information that I'm going to share with you, my thoughts, helps to orchestrate maybe you to make a decision. Final judgment will be yours. And remember, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home, your car, or wherever you're listening from. And another important player in this game is Greg Harvey. He's producing today, and always appreciate his efforts and work. He's answering the phone right now. And I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. I also do landscape consulting during the week, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and take a look at maybe problem solving or aesthetic situations or things like that, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. On the home page, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And on the Good Gardening Stroll page, that's my monthly update. So if you want to see what I've got to say about February... You can check it out on my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. And the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. As Mr. Kelly informed and uh, as I knew myself, 
Today, Groundhog Day. So I thought, where are Groundhog Day? What can I do? I can't go to Punxsutawney and see what Phil's doing and all that other stuff. So I decided to go to the St. Louis Zoo. Now, why would I go to the zoo? Well, I don't know if the zoo is still doing that, but they a few years ago, Tracy and I went to the zoo on Groundhog Day, and they had a groundhog, and they were kind of doing the same thing that they do in Pennsylvania with Punxsutawney Phil. Only this turned into be a, a lot more entertaining than Punxsutawney Phil. As, they, as I guess the zookeeper was holding the groundhog, you know, there was a crowd gathered around and everything trying to see Shadowwise or whatever. The groundhog got loose and he started running through the crowd. It was hilarious. People were jumping out of the way and everything else. And they finally were able to get him. But, I mean, I don't know if the zoo is still doing the groundhog thing, but that had to be the best groundhog day I've ever had in my almost 70 years of life. So that's why I decided to go to the zoo. And I went to the main entrance, and there's on the roads, there's still some icebergs left. Maybe by tomorrow, they'll all be melted away. So I just thought, hmm, the massive parking lot is on the south side, and that runs along Highway 4064. And the boulders add great strength to the main entrance to the zoo. It's you know really kind of a cool place just in general. So I pulled up and I parked, and the flags, um, U.S. flag, Missouri flag, and the zoo flag. You could tell the wind was blowing from the south to the north because the flags were pointed in that direction. There was clumps of river birch. The river birch were bending and leaning. Why were they bending and leaning like that? Well, there's some huge sycamores right behind them. So the sycamores shadow them, and so consequently they're reaching for as much light as possible. So if you have trees that are bending in one direction, more than likely they're trying to reach for more sunlight because that's essential. So another, and then there was pots of arborvitae, Pots of junipers. The junipers didn't look really all that good, so I don't know exactly what variety of junipers. And several pots of pansies. Now, the pansies were not in flower. I, they, they're still green, so I guess that cold weather, you know, maybe the boulders of the entranceway or something protected them from that extreme cold that we just recently had. But uh, it was kind of neat. There's recycling trash cans as you go in so you can dump your stuff off. Knockout roses. They were kind of clustered together, and I think it was kind of dark and foggy, so it was a little hard to tell what trees, you know, there was because there was no foliage on some of them. Some I can tell by barks and things like that, but I think this is a locust tree. And underneath the locust, these knockout roses, ooh, they were bare naked. They were kind of shivering. There's an upright vertical hornbeam just to the, let's see, I guess that would be to the left of the locust tree, and a mugle pine which cascades over the boulders. Really kind of a nice touch. I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but it really looks kind of neat. And there's a vine there. I couldn't figure out what the vine was. So it was kind of, like I said, it was kind of dark. It's you know, pre-dawn when I was taking, when I was doing this. But then, anyway, the walkway over from the parking lot to the zoo entrance, a flock of birds. I couldn't, I think they were juncos, but I'm not positive because uh, the sound wasn't quite, you know, I had a headband on. I was covering my ears. But they flew over about six or eight of them and then landed on that walkway. And they stayed there for just a couple seconds and then took off again. So on this foggy morning, it's all happening 
at the zoo. If you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. The only way you can take KMOX with you is with the Radio.com app. Download it today and listen to us anytime, anywhere. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Last week on Saturday, I raked up uh, three 55-gallon bags of leaves, dumped them into the yard waste dumpster, and I'll be darned. Two, one or two days later, the wind came back again, and the same amount of leaves, it's almost like I didn't rake at all, is in the yard again. So today, after the show, I'm going to be home raking the yard to get rid of the leaves that are blowing, blowing in from the park. It's you know absolutely just kind of incredible. Every year I end up about, uh, from the time I do the first raking of the leaves blowing in from Christie Park till the final one, when they actually, it's what stops it is, when the city, you know, gets to the point where they start mowing the grass in the park, that chops up all the leaves, and then consequently they can't, you know, they don't blow after that point. Sometimes I wish they would kind of save all of us some grief, you know, that live around any park and do a mowing late, like around Thanksgiving or something, after the majority of the leaves have fallen. And then we wouldn't have to fool with it. That's just me being really selfish and a really egomania or maniac saying, why don't they do this so I don't have to do that? Well, tough luck on you. Let's head down to Melville and go into Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Mike. Thanks for uh, your service and thanks for the show. And I have three questions. I have a 12 by 20 raised uh, vegetable garden, um, and I was wondering, do I have to be concerned with rotating crops, or can you still put the tomato plants in the same spot you put them in the last two years, or does that matter? Yeah, you probably don't have to worry about it as far as rotating. So until they start getting dysfunctional or something like that, and especially if you have a soil test done, if you're doing some, you know, adding some compost slash topsoil you know, into the, your raised bed mix circumstance or like St. Louis Composting has that STL compost raised bed mix. And just if you do that, then you should be fine. Okay. And the other question I wanted to know is, too, do you, do you compost in your yard? And since I am going to be new at this, do, you, do I have to go online or is there someplace where I can get an easy for me um, composting thing that I can turn and make my own compost? Yeah, you. Uh, no, I don't compost myself. So okay. I just, you know, I buy compost at St. Louis Composting and then you know, bring it home that way. Okay. But uh, I don't have, a, you know, I live in the city and I don't have a big enough yard really to be, you know, yeah. t- composting. But uh, yeah, there. I mean, there's tumblers, there's all kinds of things. So I would go online and just take okay. a look at what there is there. These okay. tumblers, I, you know, I mean, they sound great, but I'm not exactly sure how well they work. Okay. But uh, also go to the Missouri Botanical Garden site, mobot.org, okay. and then see what the you know what they recommend for home composting. Okay, and I was I'd, I'd still be interested in the forsythia bush. You said that we're not supposed to do something until that blooms. I forget what that something was. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to look at them because <laughs> they're so ugly this time of year. No, basically it doesn't really matter. 
what I you know advise people anything that blooms in the springtime don't prune until after they finish flowering, and that's simply because that way you get the advantage of all the flower buds that are there. Okay. So it's not it's so, not it's nothing. So it's a pruning thing, not a planting thing. <laughs> right, right. They're not even going to be available yet, but uh, no. no, it has nothing to do. It's strictly pruning and a strictly uh, an aesthetic thing, as opposed to they don't really. I mean, you're not going to hurt the forsythia if you do prune it. You're just reducing the flower count and anything else of flowering. You know, flowering almonds or cherries or whatever it happens to be that's you know spring flowering, pussy willows, all that stuff. If you prune them, you're just reducing the flower count. Okay, and our knockout rose bushes have not been doing well the last, I don't know, three to four years, Ooh. and they get the um, holes that look like Swiss cheese on the leaves. Right. And they don't, they don't, the bush doesn't get as big, and the blooms aren't um, withstanding. And I was wondering, is that something that we should um, core aerate around and then backfill with the composting or? You don't think that would help? Well, you could do that, but uh, what that does is really feed your soil, and then your soil in turn feeds the plants. But are you feeding with rose food and all that other yeah. stuff? So you're yeah. doing everything? I would well, say. How often should I do that? Well, about once them? a month, every okay, five now, to you know four to six yeah. weeks. Okay. And uh, beyond that, if they've kind of been on the sort of the downhill slide for a couple of years, I would say it's time to just get rid of them and start over again. Okay, because we have had them a while, so yeah. that could be it. All right, I appreciate it. Thank yep. you, Mike. Have a good day. Certainly. You do the very same thing. And now let's go. We're going to Florida? No way. Let's go to Titusville, Florida, and see what's going on with Robert. Robert, how are you? Hey, Mike. I'm good. A longtime listener from the St. Louis region, and uh, just appreciate your program. Calling because I have a rose bush that's got quite a story. Uh, when my grandparents passed away in the 70s, a friend took a uh, rose off of a casket and started a bush that uh, then has been in central Illinois. My parents up in North County had some. Uh, we had this bush growing um, over on the east side, and uh, we moved it probably about two years ago to St. Charles, and then we dug it up and brought it with us to Florida. Mm. And it's thriving. So it's thriving in our sandy soil, but what I'd like to know is how do I get a start um, of that bush to, to get another uh, plant going in the yard? And uh, is there anything else, just as a bush gets older like that, uh, just to keep it healthy uh, as it grows? Just so base input you have for that. Yeah, just, I mean, just overall care that obviously has been done, you know, for a long time. Obviously, it's sandy soil there, so it's going to, I mean, the nutrients and everything leach past the root system really quick. So rather than fertilizing, let's say, as I told the last caller, every, let's say, four to six weeks, you might have to fertilize a little bit more often. But as far as taking cuttings from the roses, uh, probably the best thing to do is go to the Missouri Botanical Garden site and you know look at the rose cuttings. But what you're basically going to do is take a stem cutting, you know, before flower buds or anything else. You're going to get some rooting hormone. You're going to dip that cutting into the rooting hormone and then put it in a potting mix for starting plant material. So that's probably the best way or easiest way to take cuttings and have good luck with them. All right, Mike. Thanks so much. Appreciate the program. Well, thank you, and I certainly appreciate you uh, calling from Florida. Wow. And, uh, wow, I mean, your family is amazing if you've been able to take cuttings and keep a rosebush alive all that long. So congratulations to you and a tip of the trial to you as well. Uh, How about this recent cold weather? 
Do you have like a chemical stored in your garage, unheated garage? Well, watch out for that because if they're liquids, they may have froze and now you go back out and because they may have thawed again. But that freezing, you know, that creates a moisture circumstance within the chemical and then consequently that could alter the, you know, the effectiveness of whatever chemical that is. If you have, let's say, dry goods, you know, in bags, granular type stuff, when it gets so cold and it gets warm, there can be condensation on the inside of your bag, and that could also impact your granular type, you know, whatever it is, whether it's fertilizer, whether it's, you know, a pre-emergent, whatever it happens to be. So just realize that whether it's an organic or inorganic fertilizer, herbicide, insecticide, or fungicide, it could be altered by this crazy weather that we've had. I mean, when you just think a few days ago how cold it was and how warm it is actually right now, that is, uh, and then it's going to get warmer tomorrow and then again warmer on Monday, that's really going to create a nightmare. The reason why, what made me think of this is I keep like bottles of water in the garage so I don't have to go in the house and all that other stuff if I happen to be muddy and everything else. But on Saturday when I was out there, you know, working, the bottles of water had frozen. So I thought, hmm. Now, I do have just a small amount of liquid fertilizers, uh, or not fertilizers, but liquid herbicides that, you know, I try to get it all used up before, you know, winter comes, use it in the fall. But I still had some, and I'm uh, what I'm going to do is just go out and, you know, what it is is Roundup. And so I'm going to just spray it on one, you know, one plant, one place, and just see if it's still effective and if it still works. If it does, then I'm going to continue to, you know, go ahead and use it. I know people are, you know, they worry about the Roundup and all this other and everything else, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm not overly concerned with it. We have to be concerned about lots of different things in our life, and that's just one thing that I chose not to be concerned with because I've been using it since I worked at the botanical garden. Like in the, you know, from, let's say, started there in 77 and worked there till 82. And when I was in the Woodland Garden, I did, that's, I never even heard of Roundup prior to, prior to that. And so I started using it on the pathway through the Woodland, Woodland Garden because there was so much stuff from all the trees and everything else. Seeds were dropping along the pathways. And to keep it clear, that's what I, you know, what I chose or that's what was recommended by the staff that was in charge at the Botanical botanical garden so that's what i used anyway and i have one other thing too i can't think of what it actually is that's a liquid and i don't do too much granular stuff anymore i keep it liquid because it's very because <laughs> i'm lazy and it's faster i actually give gave away there's a lady who kind of goes down the alleys in our neighborhood and kind of finds stuff and takes it back and i guess she resells it i don't know but I gave her my spreaders. I've, I had two different types of spreaders. And so she, she was glad. To, occasionally she comes by and I have a few things that I kind of clear out the garage with more or less and just kind of pass them on to her. So, But this February is a month if you're into, let's say, getting rid and doing it, let's say, a safe way insects, whether they're eggs, whether they're larvae, whether they're adults that are hibernating or anything else. There's a product called Dormant Oil, Dormant Horticultural Oil. 
Now, it has to be sprayed, you know, very specifically as far as temperature-wise. If it gets too warm, you can do some damage to your plant material. But that's one thing at the Botanical Garden, and I'm assuming they're still doing it, is spraying the dormant oil during the month of February. When the temperature range is correct, you always should read your label. And basically what it does, it's an oil, horticultural oil. It doesn't ruin anything. It doesn't mess up anything or anything else. And it suffocates eggs, suffocates larvae, suffocates adults, anything like that whatsoever. So if you have scale on, let's say, euonymus, in other words, white flicks of paint-looking kind of stuff, or anything at all, it really is very effective. So that's kind of the way to start your season, especially if you've had a problem with insects of various types. So now it's not going to go, you can't use it on the ground, so you can't spray it down to get rid of grubs like the Japanese beetle grubs or things like that. But any kind of twigs or branches on woody plant material, it is extremely effective. So that is dormant oil, and application is usually made you know, in February according to the temperatures. But if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you've ever wanted to rub elbows with blues legends at St. Louis's biggest party, then be sure to get your ticket to the St. Louis Blues Alumni Party Tent at Mardi Gras in Historic Soulard, Saturday, March 2nd. Your ticket includes open bar with beer and cocktails, lunch buffet, access to legendary blues players, and a front row view of the Bud Light Grand Parade. Be at the Lafayette Lofts on 7th and Ann from 9 to 5. Find event and ticket information now at kmox.com events. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, you heard me talking about the dormant oil right before we went on to break. I'll tell you, I always like to use, rather than going and watching temperatures-wise and everything else, what you need to do is when the silver maple is in flower, silver maple, you go, does it even have, do maples have flowers? Yes, that's how they have those maple squirts or those seeds. Uh, when the silver maple, which is the first blooming maples in flower, its flowers are yellow or yellow greenish, kind of pale. But uh, go online, you can check out and see what the flowers look like, and then try to find out if you have any silver maples in your neighborhood. When that is in bloom, that is when you would be spraying the dormant oil. So that I like those triggers much more than I do. Like saying, well, if it's 50 to 52 degrees or something along that line. Anyway, let's go and see what's going on with Martin. Martin, how are you today? Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I love this. This I got I, th- I got 360 acres down in Ware, Missouri, and I have these monarchs. I had one monarch go through the farm last year, this last year, and I was wondering... What kind of a weed or what else can I use to help bring butterflies back to the farm? Uh, Basically, it's going to be a long, involved process because some of the plants that are going to be attractive to them, you know, it takes them a couple years to get well established. But I think the University of Missouri Extension Service offers, you know, butterfly garden plantings. But what you're really looking at is the butterfly weed, the Asclepius, the ones that have... You know, the small orangish flowers, those are really very attractive. But there's anything that has a whole lot of flowers on it really will work. But uh, there are specific plants that they recommend for putting, you know, into a butterfly garden. But the butterfly gardens have to be in the sun area. 
So if this is a whole wooded area, then you're going to be out of luck. No, no, it's it's. I've got real open spaces too. I got two great big fields, and I got my eagles. I got three eagles there, and they're going to have a baby last spring, and everything's really cool. Wow, that sounds great. (laughs) So I would say, you know, don't do, you know, don't try to do too much at once, but just get some, you know, get some Asclepias, which you know, butterfly weed, and just go ahead and start it from there, and then you know, kind of grow from that standpoint. How do you spell that? Asclepia. A S C E L P I S Asclepius. C-E-L-P-I-S. Right. Oh, I can't thank you enough. I think I know what I'm talking about, though, because I have an 1850 German Sunday house on my farm that I found out <clears throat> from down in Texas, up in the hill country. And now I have that that house, and now I can put these really good s- seeds around it. Right. Asclepia. Right. Asclepius. Asclepius. Yes. But yes. just just go, you know, you can go online and just look at butterfly plants. Okay. And that will help plant. you, too. And then also contact the University of Missouri Extension Service. University of MO Service. Do you happen to have their phone number? No, I sure don't. No? Well, I'll find that out. Yeah. Okay. You can go online and just, you can contact them online, too. And I mean, probably whatever county you're in, most counties in Missouri have uh, extension service in that county. So yeah, you might Jefferson, ch- Jefferson County. Okay, so I would have to think that they would. I don't think that you know it's an umbrella because, like here in St. Louis, uh, the extension service is actually in Kirkwood. Oh, okay. It's in Kirkwood. Yeah. Okay. I'm, that's where I'm at right now. Okay. So just, you know, go and look at Missouri Extension Service, Kirkwood office, and you'll find out it's it's right basically downtown Kirkwood near the train station, I think. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Great. Well, I can't thank you enough. And, you know, on with the Bugs Bunny show. <laughs> 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 oh, and guess what? I got 52 Spoonbill Cat Net Lake. Whoa. And now they're up to about 70 or 80 pounds. Whoa. And I I read the Conservation Commission, and they said the thing, when they're fully grown, they're 170 pounds. That's scary. (laughs) And you can sell that roll for like $40 an ounce. No way. Yeah. (laughs) What do they do? What do they make out of the roll? Um, I don't know what because I, I haven't eaten it, uh, but they, you know, people eat it. Right. Mm, the eggs. Right. <laughs> I haven't had it myself. <laughs> oh, and then, then again, too, we had copperheads like held down there, and now you're lucky to see one. Well, sort of the times change. So anyway, thanks, Martin. Enjoy. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Yes. Oh man, I can't. I can't thank you enough. Okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> Now let's go to Paul and Ferguson. Hi, Paul. Hi, Mike. Uh, I had a good, on my side yard, a good stand of zoysia grass, and actually I planted a tree years ago, and it got that, grew up and killed all the zoysia off. Right. And now I've got a lot of moss all underneath the tree. And uh, and the tree is dying off. What my question is, if I cut this tree down and that, and open that all up again, will that moss die off from the sun? Uh, 
It could, but it's going to be a long, involved process. Moss does best as far as being, let's say, aggressive from the standpoint of spreading under shady, damp soils. But moss can survive in a sunny location, too. I have some that it's growing in between, like, you know, the space, let's say the spacers between my uh, sheets in the drive, you know, driveway that we have. Uh-huh. So, I mean, moss is growing there. It's in the sun a lot. It's not in the sun constantly. But, uh, I mean, it looks like sort of just green velvet strips in between, uh, you know, the, those sections of the driveway. So right. yeah. it, it, it should, you know, sort of like slow it down. And uh, would I don't know if it's going to kill it off, but it's not going to be an automatic type thing. And then also, okay. even though the tree's dying, if you cut the tree and even grind the stump, that the root system will stay viable for a while. So you're going to have a difficult time to try to get any kind of grass whether it's zoysia, bluegrass, or fescue established in that spot. So don't get too you know impatient with it. It's going to be a while. Right. Okay. I'm just more interested in if, if the moss would gradually die off. Yeah, it will. It'll, it should slowly but surely, you know, and, you know, moss and lawn can, you know, kind of exist together. It doesn't have to be in that circumstance or situation, but it can. Uh, okay. Thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with that. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, this, it's a tough, you know, tough circumstance. Also, what I do is if once you take the tree down is do some core aeration in that area, you know, and spread some compost and try to get build the soil up. Because that's what, you know, putting compost on top of your ground after you core aerate so it falls down in the core aeration holes, that is exactly what you're doing. You're feeding your soil to make the soil healthy because it's really the soil that feeds the plants. So, Thanks again, Paul. I greatly appreciate it. If anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, weed control. All the sort of cool season weeds, they are really getting prolific. Uh, one of my neighbors, <laughs> she has uh, quite a stand of chickweed, and I sort of just kind of watch it. But uh, the henbit, the annual bluegrass, the chickweeds, and even some of the perennial, you know, weeds, dandelions and violets and things like that, watch out for them because it's, it's a lot easier to get these things under control if you're going to use an herbicide when, they've ju- when they just start germinating and growing because they don't have a waxy cuticle on the surface of the leaves. And that waxy cuticle is just a natural process that plants do as the weather starts heating up to keep them from getting sunburnt when the sun gets more and more and more intense. And then, of course, the cool season weeds, those are the ones that germinate in August, and they will grow up probably until mid to late April, early May, and then the hot weather just kills them off. But uh, if you want to get them under control a little bit to stop them from seeding, you might go ahead and give it a try and see what, you know, just probably, you know, with, the, with, most result, with most of those, you could try a broadleaf weed killer. I mean, that could, should work. Let's head out to St. Charles and go to Frank's yard. Hi, Frank. Hey, uh, Mike. Uh, you had an earlier call, and uh, her question was, you said something about forsythia, but I can't remember what I should do. I think what she was uh, referring to, that I didn't hear you mention was I think she was looking for the connection between that and when the pre-emergent oh. for those bonds go down. Yeah. So if she's still listening, um, I just thought I would uh, 
take a second here and and refresh the conversation a little bit. That's perfect because I should have mentioned that because I, you know, I just mentioned that with the dormant oils, you know, watching for the silver maple flower, and I always mention you know the fact to put the pre-emergent down when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. Yeah, that's that's the reason I called because uh, those two situations and listening to you are almost automatically go together, and in this case, it got into pruning, and uh, I thought, well. You know, it wouldn't hurt to call. Right. Yeah. No, not at all. Okay, then. You have a great day, Michael. Well, thank you, and thanks for calling. And <laughs> I was going to actually talk about the pre-emergence with yellow forsythia a little bit later, but I should have told her, as well as the pruning, you know, with the pre-emergent, too. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Hey guys, it's Alex Ferrario. Join me and Amy Mark Scores for Chili's Week in Hockey as we dive deep into the blue season every Monday night. Notes from around the league and everyone's favorite, What's Up With That? 8 to 10 Monday nights on KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, Valentine's Day is coming up real soon and maybe you're going to get somebody some cut flowers. I'll tell you, a good thing to do is when you get the cut flowers home, makes well, hopefully the weather's not going to be super cold or anything, so you don't have to give them a little extra protection while you take them out to your car and then take them from the car inside. So in other words, put them in a bag or whatever it happens to be. But as soon as you get them in, you should you know dip the stems in water and then cut the stem, the bottom of the stems at a 45-degree angle. And then also remove the lowest leaves on the stems because any you don't want any of the leaves to be underwater in the vase. And that is probably those. Are, and also we think that this doesn't really make that much difference, but it really does. And that's those commercial cut flower preservatives that comes in a little packet. Mix it up. It does make a huge difference on how well and how long the flowers are going to last. So bring them home. Make a new cut on the stem, cut off about a couple inches at the bottom. Make the cut at a 45-degree angle. Why make it at a 45-degree angle? Because that allows more moisture to be absorbed up through the stem to keep the, the cut flowers even looking better. Let's head out to Wildwood and go into Mark's yard. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mike. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Sure. I um, appreciate your show. I, I've got a couple questions. Um, one is I have a... Um, rhododendron bush in my backyard that it's got a black dusty powder all over it that um, doesn't seem to impair the plant's growth but it's attracting like hornets and and bees and i don't know you mentioned that uh, dormant oil is that something that would work to kill it some kind of a fungus i'm guessing um I, you know, on a broadleaf evergreen, I don't know if I would apply it to, you know, in this situation, I'd probably just use a fungicide. You fungicide? Know. Yeah. Okay. And like uh, they used to have a triple action type thing. Is that the kind of thing to use? Or I would say just go target one thing specific as opposed to a triple action because sometimes those are great and wonderful, but sometimes they, they got so many different things going on, you're not really getting the, the thing you really need out of, let's say, all three of them. Okay. Okay. Uh, and my second question is, um, you know, I always have this conundrum when it comes to mulch. I don't know which is uh, better, triple ground or double ground. Um, the triple ground tends to kind of wash out on me sometimes, right. disappear. But the double ground, uh, 
you know, on the other hand, it, it's not always as attractive or uh, as easy to manage. So, yeah, it's a, you know, more or less an aesthetic call. As long as they've been, let's say, formulated and you know, just not coming off, let's say, some utility company's you know chipper, bu- you know, chipper truck trailer. <laughs> so, if, if it's you know, if you're getting a good product, it's really a personal call more so than anything. Okay. So there's no, yeah, there's no right or wrong, but you're right. One of them will certainly disappear a lot quicker than the other because it's been, you know, ground a little bit smaller. Right, right. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Certainly. And now let's go to Wentzville and see what's going on with Shirley. Shirley, how are you? I'm just fine. How are you, Mike? Very good. I I have uh, purchased this uh, past November. I purchased and planted uh, dogwood, and I put it in the wrong spot. I'd like to know if I can move it, and if so, for how long a time. I mean, so you want to dig it up, or you want to pull it up? It probably hasn't established any roots. If you did this in November, the ground was already cold, so I would think you could almost kind of just pull it straight up. Just obviously be careful, use a shovel to pry it up a little bit. But you shouldn't have any problems pulling it up at all. I wouldn't necessarily do it right now. I would wait until we're past the potential for some really more nasty cold weather. So I'd wait until, let's say, towards the end of Fe- uh, end of this month, maybe all the way up until, uh, hmm, you know, it's kind of hard to say. But let's say all the way up until the end of March, you could move it without any kind of problem at all. Okay, that sounds good. I'll say one more question. Uh, I have uh, junipers that I didn't get trimmed in the fall. When can I do it now? Uh, before the new growth begins. So you got plenty of time to do it. I was just curious. I want to ask you, too. Now, what makes you think the dogwood's in a, in a bad spot? <laughs> well, I put it over uh, electrical wiring underground. Ah. <laughs> so uh, that's not a good thing. No, because <laughs> you never know when they're going to have to come in and do something and check that out. So, right. Okay. So you should be okay. fine. Okay. Thanks for your help. Certainly. Anybody else has any questions? We've got a couple minutes in this uh, hour yet. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. De-icers. Hopefully we don't have to use any more de-icers at all this year. But uh, you've heard me talk about don't use the, the typical rock salt because it can do some damage to hardscapes and plant material, too. But also, even just using gypsum, that will certainly help as well as traction sand. So gypsum or traction sand, as well as, as p- the potassium chloride and the calcium chloride. Those are the two, let's say, alternatives to the true rock salt. But uh, gypsum really is quite effective as a de-icer. So you can certainly use that. Your house plants. If you need to transplant them because you think they, you know, they're overly pot bound and everything else, if you're going to do it, houseplants really like to be pot bound. So it doesn't matter what type they are or anything else. But if you choose to transplant them, put them in a pot no larger than two inches bigger than the current pot. And then also when you're doing that, don't do any fertilizing or anything. This time of year, if you have anything that's in flower, though, it does want to be fertilized. When I said don't do any fertilizing, that means right after you transplant a plant, don't fertilize it. Let it get acclimated to the new location and everything else. But anything that's uh, showing new growth on the house plant or in bloom, go ahead and fertilize it. Use a fertilizer you know, specifically for, formulated for house plants. 
And then guess what? Only half label rate because the days are still pretty short. So if the plants are dormant, so they're not showing any kind of new growth or anything, don't do any fertilizing at all. So also go down and check your summer bulbs if you have them stored in the basement and see if any of them are rotted or any soft or any of them smell. Any of those, just get rid of them because if you don't, it can be problematic. Let's head out now to Harry's yard, and Harry lives in Sunset Hills. Hi, Harry. Good morning, sir, and thank you for your show. Sure. I'm sorry, our show. Yes, Um, exactly. um, Several years ago, I planted some arborvitaes across the back of our our lot, and I've got about 13 of them back there, and they're up about 15, 20 foot tall. This last year, four of them were attacked by bagworms. And so I went out and cut those four down and started picking off bagworms of the other. I picked off about 620 bagworms of the other remaining. Is there anything to prevent that in this upcoming year? Can bagworms be transported through mulch? No. no, Okay, the siege cannot. Okay. Right. So, no, nothing like that at all. Basically, what they do is once they get a start on one plant, and especially if the plants are close enough where the branches touch, those bags are full of eggs. And then what happens in the early, you know, in the springtime, those eggs will hatch and then little bitty bagworms come crawling out and they'll, you know, say move away from the original bag. So there was a female in that bag. She's dead. So it was through the wintertime. It's only the, you know, it's only the eggs slash whatever's going to come out, male or female. And then they crawl to a new spot, and then the females will make bags. The males are winged, so they they fly away, but they come back around to, you know, let's say to make the females pregnant, and that's when the whole process starts again. And that starts in the spring, or is it in the fall? No, it's really in the springtime. So what you can, you know, you, you might try, you know, basically just watching them closely, and it's very hard to figure out what day because of exposure or what date or what, t- you know, what, what month or even what week or anything that this is going to happen when they're going to start, you know, let's say hatching. So as okay. soon as they start hatching, you can take, you know, a horticultural oil or out there and just, you know, spray them with or spray an insecticide on the little bitty ones. They're only like a quarter inch long. So, I mean, you can kill them easily, but if you've got this many and they're that tall, you're going to probably have this problem forever. Now, the one year I did come across a spray that you can spray around the base, and on it's supposedly supposed to seep into this, the root, not root system, but into the tree limbs and everything to help prevent them from attaching. Have you ever heard of anything like that? Yeah. Effectiveness, I don't, you know, I've heard of okay. it, but I, you know, I've, I don't have any personal experience with it or I don't know anybody that has that can actually say it works. It may work very well. Okay. Because it was interesting. When I pulled all these off, I started throwing the branches in the trash can. And the next day I got up, there were the bags were outside the trash can going down the driveway. <laughs> So I put them in a Ziploc bag and left them out in the sun and said, here's my repayment back to you guys for ruining four of my trees. (laughs) Well, thanks, Harry. Yeah, bagworms are tough. (laughs) There's no getting around it. There is, and they're such beautiful uh, pieces of shrubbery. Right. Thank you so much. Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We do have another hour of the show, so I will talk to you after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. 
Yes, folks. Thanks. Welcome to the Garden Hotline. Tip of the trial hour, which I will be giving shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, your questions, your concerns, or your comments. Greatly appreciate the gentleman calling back related to my forsythia saying, don't prune, but also putting pre-emergence down when the forsythia is in bloom. Mr. Kelly. You were saying yes, that you bought a new rototiller? Well, it's a used rototiller, what? but it's new to me. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. How many tines does it have? I haven't even seen it yet. It's at my what? neighbor's. I haven't been down to pick it up yet. Whoa. <laughs> so you bought it unseen? Yeah, I trust my neighbors. Oh. Yeah. yeah. They're pretty good. Right. I, I, I kind of trust them, at least enough. Is know. this a guy that owns and a I, peacock? And I, know, I know where they live. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is, and he does know. And, and the peacock's been spending a lot of time at the house lately in the cold. So you've adopted him? Pretty much. You bring him I, in? He's adopted us. No. I oh. didn't. You know, they keep saying, bring your pets in. Yes. I tried to get the horse in. Wouldn't fit in the door. <laughs> and the peacock wouldn't come in, so I figured, okay, well, that's, that's yours. But boy, did we have a lot of birds when, this, when it was cold this week. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Brutal. Yeah. And yeah, when that snows nuts. down, I mean, that covers all their, you know, sort of natural vegetation mm-hmm. and seeds and everything else. So, I mean, they get desperate. Yeah. I bet we had, I'm betting we had 100 birds out there the other day. Wow. We have four finch feeders and four sunflower seed feeders, and they were all full. And then there were a bunch on the ground. All so, waiting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they, no, they were waiting <laughs> they yeah, eating. for the, the seeds yeah, the to seeds come down. Yeah, the seeds Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's fun. It's a lot oh, of fun. Great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed. Uh, Got to make the best of it. Absolutely. Yep. See you soon. I guess. You bet. Two weeks. That's right. Yeah. You're going to be off next week. I'm off next week. Yes. Have fun. I will. And get a tan. I will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, folks. Uh, by the way. Thanks for having me on your show, and we can discuss plant selection, cares for, ups and downs, and all arounds of annuals, bulbs, of edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. And I like sharing my thoughts, but remember, my answers, comments, or opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but it's offered for you to sort of Like, just give it consideration and maybe take that direction. So across the big board from where I am is Greg Harvey. He's producing again today, uh, both hours of the show. And during the week, I do landscape consulting, where I come to your home and I can help you with problem solving, help you with aesthetic situations, you know, care maintenance or whatever it happens to be. You can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. The homepage is where my email address and phone number is listed. You can contact me, and we'll set up a time where I can come to your home. And, uh, you know, basically, too, I have gift certificates. So if you'd like to give somebody a gift certificate for a walk and talk, you can contact me, and I'll email you the gift certificate. You can give it away. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Well, one thing... At the Missouri Botanical Garden, I've talked about multiple things that are going on right now, but this February is Black History Month. And today at the Botanical Garden, at 3 o'clock, the 30th annual Celebrate the Gospel Concert. So if you're into gospel music, you can head to the Botanical Garden at 3 o'clock today and hear some fantastic music. Vocals just unbelievable. Also, the tip of the trial goes out to the Green Center. The Green Center... Well, where are they? Well, they're located in University City on Blackberry Avenue. 
And this is a, just really a cool place. It is What they do is set up programs for kids, basically, let's say, from four to nine years old. They've got one that's called The Naturalist, so in other words, Secrets in the Outdoors in the Winter Season. They've got one called Making Tracks. So you go out and on the, they have a huge, it's a big, I shouldn't say huge, it's a big facility. They've got rolling hills, they've got woods, they've got all kinds of different things. So when kids go there and, you know, take a class, it is absolutely unbelievable. So they've even got one, I don't know if they've had this one before or not, but on February... 26th snowed in. So in other words, teaching kids what to do during the snow, maybe let's have some winter treats. So cooking, let's cook. So all kinds of different things. Usually the classes are between four and five, and they're relatively inexpensive. So if you're interested in the Green Center classes for wintertime, you can go to their website, which is classes at thegreencenter.org. Or you can call them, you know, go, just go online to get the phone number to call. So classes at thegreencenter.org. Unbelievable the amount of classes they have. And this is a really a neat place there in University City on Blackberry. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go out to Lake, Lake St. Louis and go into Jane's yard. Hi, Jane. Good morning, Mike. I have a comment for you, <clears throat> and it's for the gentleman that lives down south that's trying to uh, develop a butterfly garden. Mm-hmm. There is a nursery called Missouri Wildflower Nursery. Yes. They are out of Jefferson City, and you can um, request a catalog, and their telephone number is... Five seven three four nine six three four nine two, and the nifty thing about this nursery is that they visit certain places. One of which is the Kirkwood Farmers Market, and you can order uh, flowers. And if you pay for them, um, they you can pick them up on a Friday evening. And in their catalog, they have a schedule of where they'll be when. And they start, uh, at least last year, they started at the farmer's market in April. Um, and there are things that are native to the state. And I, I bought a bunch of um, butterfly, not butterfly bushes, but milkweed. Right. From them, because I'm trying to get a butterfly garden going as well. <clears throat> so... That's perfect. And that is a great nursery for sure. And I mean, they specialize in things specific. I don't want to say specifically for Missouri because we're not that unique, but I mean, very, you know, tuned into our region, our soils and everything else. And the right. gentleman that owns it slash runs it, he's quite the character, needless to say. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is ha- what I met him several years ago. He and I were giving a talk, you know, at a, yeah, let's say, as, you know, classes or whatever, and we happened to meet then, and I, did, I had not heard of them. I, this is when he, I guess, just had just started the organization, his company, his nursery, and uh, so it was really kind of a privilege. So I kind of follow him off and on, you know, through through each year just to kind of see what's going on. Mm-hmm. I just thought I'd share that yep, with the great. listeners. Well, s- certainly appreciate it. Thanks, Jane. And why don't we take a break, and then we'll come back and talk to Ron, Bob, Joe, and another Bob. 
Depend on KMOX when news breaks. News on the hour, 24 hours a day, with bulletins at any time. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. KMOX, at your service. Sponsored by Air Comfort Service Heating and Cooling. Back to the phones we go, and let's head over to Ron's yard, and Ron lives in Breeze, Illinois. Hi, Ron. Hi, Mike. Uh, Say I have some ornamental grasses uh, that I did not cut back in the fall, Mm -hmm. and I have some American holly bushes that I did not trim. When would be a good time to do those things? Well, the ornamental grasses are probably all brown anyway, and uh, you could leave the blades if you want a little bit longer, because the blades really help protect the crown of the plant, depending upon what variety it is. Uh, helps a little bit more on some than other ones. But uh, you can cut those back now if you want, or you can wait for another couple of weeks if you want to watch them blowing in the wind. And depending upon the type, some of them, if you leave them you know, and don't cut them off, they start shattering and the blades will end up all over the place. And a good way to cut them, too, is to get some bungee cords, put them around them, especially on the larger ones, that holds them all together so they, you know, you can leave them if you want to. And then it makes it easier to cut them off because you can use a hedge trimmer. And I don't know how, you know, again, what type they are. But you want to leave about six or eight inches of stem when you do cut them off. Okay. And how about the American hollies? Uh, do any kind of pruning that you want. It's a little bit too early because we don't know how cold it's still going to get. But uh, as soon as the weather, let's say, if we get past... Uh, Towards the end of this month, you should be able to. You should be fine as far as pruning, but definitely do any kind of pruning that you want to before the new growth begins. Because generally, the broadleaf evergreens, be it you know that's what a holly is. If this is a variety of evergreen holly, uh, consequently, they only put out one surge of growth from one you know one series of buds. And so, if you cut them after the new growth begins, then you're not going to have any new growth to infill those spots aesthetically for the you know for the entire year. Okay, that's all I need to know. Thank you very much. Certainly, thanks, Ron. And now let's come back into the city of St. Louis, South City, and go into Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Yeah, Mike. Yes, I heard you talking earlier about horticultural oil for uh, spraying on. Uh, things to smother out the uh, problem? Yes, dormant oil. Okay. Can that be used on bagworms that get on these uh, different uh, evergreen bushes? Uh, I don't think the, you know, the dormant oil can penetrate that bag. So that's, you know, that's where the real problem comes in. You could try it, but I, you know, if you look on the list, I don't, you know, I would have to look at a, a label to make sure, but I don't think it's going to be effective against the bagworms. Okay, the coating smothering effect wouldn't have any effect then on the bag then. Yeah, it's usually the eggs that are, let's say, you know, they're laid more in the open. It suffocates those. But, I mean, that bag is unbelievable. If you have plants that have them and you've tried to tear them open, it's almost impossible to tear them open. I know I I had bushes with those bags on them at one time. And right, they are unbelievably tough. Right now, if you if you have like fall webworms, which are kind of wads of webbing on the end of branches and things like that, it's going to be effective against that you know that kind of circumstance. Or you know if some of the adults are hiding in cracks of bark and stuff, then you know it's going to work there or larvae or anything along that line. But uh, the bags, I'm not really sure. I should you know what I'll do is I'll take a look. 
and then you know address that again next week because I'm I hate to say it won't work. I hate to say it will work because I'm unsure to be honest. But my guess is it's not going to be effective. Okay, that's what I was wondering about. All right. Thank you very much. Certainly. Thanks, Bob. And now let's go to Joe on the road. Hi, Joe. Hi, uh, Mike. Uh, you guys are an awesome radio show to listen to. I was just wanting to let you know the guy that was having problems with uh, moss growing in his yard, I found that uh, if you take a little bit of time and uh, – Use a water soluble lime, it will take care of that problem. It will take a little while, but the lime will make the ground sweeter and get rid of that moth. Right. It certainly can help. You just have to be very careful that you don't put too much lime down, that you make your soil alkaline because then that can make it problematic for your, you know, any kind of lawn that you're trying to grow in that situation. That is very correct, sir. No, great. Anyhow, I really like you. I am talking on a cell phone, but I am off the side of the road, and I live in St. Charles, and I just simply love your radio show. Well, thank you, and as you know, thanks for having me on your show. Greatly appreciate it, Joe. Yes, you're you're right. You're, <laughs> you got me again. <laughs> so let's go now to another Bob, and this Bob lives in South County. Hi, Bob. Uh, hello. I Last June, I put down a new lawn, new side. And I did the winter fertilizer and everything. And it looks pretty good right now. I want to know when to put down um, a weed killer, when to put down grass seed and fertilizer, and what sequence and how long in between each one. Uh, so it looks I'm gonna, good. I'm going to hang up and listen to you. Okay, great. So basically what you should do is I'm sure it's well-established, go out and just kind of tug on the pieces to make sure they've got an adequate root system. What I would do first is I would go ahead and just get a core aerator and or you know core aerate your new lawn area and spread about a quarter to a half inch of compost on it. So that would be the first thing I would do. As far as weed control, I would just do selective weed control as far as like if you see some broadleaf weeds coming up, I would get a broadleaf weed killer and spray it directly onto those weeds you see as opposed to broadcast spreading or spraying a broadleaf you know, weed killer there. And as far as fertilizing goes, I'm assuming this is a cool season or cold season cool uh, type of lawn. So it's fescue or bluegrass. So you want to get all the fertilizing done. You can feed them. You're not going to feed them a whole lot this time of year. Because they, you know, you don't want to force any growth when it starts getting hot because that's the worst season for the cool season lawns. But I'd probably do one application of fertilizer. I might even do a seed starter, you know, after you core aerate, put the compost down, put the grass seed down, then, you know, control the weeds as it goes. If you just realize that even a broadleaf weed killer can actually kill newly germinating grass seed, even though it's not a broadleaf. So just understand that the, you know, using an herbicide and putting seed down in you know, the same sort of sequence is going to be a little bit rough. I'd go ahead and get your seeds. You know, if you're going to put seed down, put that down after the compost and then you know, do a seed starter type fertilizer even though, you know, for that. And probably that would be the only kind of fertilizing I would do. And I probably would do 
get all that done before we get into, you know, too, too late into March. So do it as, you know, as soon as you possibly can. Because the ground temperature should be warm enough by then to make it so this actually the seed will germinate. The seed starter fertilizer will help it get established in the, you know, the sod that you put down. So, and I would kind of just, unless you got a real nasty broadleaf weed problem, Wait until the seed germinates. Wait for a couple of weeks after that before you start using any kind of herbicide whatsoever. So that'll take care of that. Now let's go to Sharon, and Sharon lives in Brentwood. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Mike. I have a question regarding a large cactus that I have. It probably is 20 years old, if not a little bit more. I have one branch that I know I would like to cut off, and then this summer... Uh, possibly replant it in a larger container. But taking off the one branch that I have now, what is the best way for me to do that? Uh, how how long is this branch? Well, it's kind of curly. Uh, it's probably <laughs> uh, odd-looking. Uh, it's probably maybe a couple feet, two feet. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, this cactus is huge. I've never actually had it outdoors. <laughs> If it's been remaining in the same spot, it does great. I would say, first of all, why do you want to, you know, transplant it into a bigger pot? It is, everything's leaning. It's basically, there's three, uh, I want to say three different... um, Trunks or whatever? Yes. And uh, this is, it's really leaning. Uh, I can't, it's all spreading. I kind of have it tied up with... um, some florist tape to get it, you know, it's in my living room uh, to uh, get it more centered. And I think one thing, getting the weight off of that would help a lot. But just realize that transplanting is not necessarily going to solve that problem. It's leaning, you know, maybe it is the weight of the plant. You know, the top Mm -hmm. is really heavy and it doesn't have a well enough established root system. But if you're going to do that, make sure you use potting mix for cactus plants. I mean, there's a specific mm-hmm. one for that. Mm-hmm. And the pot should not be bigger than two inches you know, larger than the existing one. Okay. And as far as cutting it off, you can really kind of do that anytime. But if it's that long, I'd probably, you know, you're not going to be able to necessarily, let's say, propagate this branch that you're cutting off. And I don't you know, even know if you want to. But, no, I you know, not to. It's <laughs> If it was straight, I think it would be a great idea. Otherwise, uh, maybe another part I will, but not this one. Yeah, I would say just go ahead and you know hold the end when you make the cut, and just realize that you there's going to be sap that run you know that runs out of the cut, mm-hmm. and don't put anything on it at all. Just let it heal on its own. I might wait until the days get a little bit longer, so uh, towards the end of March before I did it. Oh, okay. That's why I was wanting to the time. Yeah, that. I mean, it's probably not going to make that much difference, but it's just that way. It may have a tendency because it'll be a little bit more active growing. That uh, you know, it'll heal that spot. You know, a little bit quicker. Okay, great. All right, thank you so much. Certainly, and you'll know it's healed when you go over and touch the spot where you've made the cut, and when it doesn't feel sticky anymore, then it's really started the healing process. Okay, great. Thanks, Mike. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
When the snow falls in St. Louis. Most areas have seen between four and six inches. The KMOX Air Comfort Heating and Cooling Storm Center is there for you. Schools are closed, events are canceled. It's up to the minute forecast. I'm Acu with the meteorologist Steve DeBoer. What's happening on the snow-covered highways and city streets? Weather is still an issue. Snow is really starting to come down. And the KMOX News Team on the scene. Brian Feldman, he is at MoDOT. Live in the Metro East Fred Blue. Plus all the info on school and event cancellations. Remember, you can always check the very latest information at kmox.com winter weather we've got it covered on news radio 1120 kmox welcome back to the st louis composting garden hotline once again here's mike miller on kmox yes folks 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 if you have any questions concerns or comments we're headed out to st charles now and going into tom's yard hi tom Hi, uh, Mike. Um, I'm not much of a gardener. I'm really not even into it. Uh, however, I thought I would call and share with you that uh, I listen to your show quite frequently just because I find it interesting, and I think you're really good at what you do. Um, and my question for you, and I'm sure you've probably talked about it before, but I haven't heard it. Um, can you take a minute and talk about how it is you got interested in uh in, in what you do and plants and gardening and such? Sure. Uh, I just always I find it interesting to hear stories from people who are good at what they do and how they get into it. So uh, I'll hang up and listen if you don't mind. Right. Well, my family, when I was up until I was in first grade, we lived a block away from the botanical garden. So the influence there, we would go there. We went to probably uh, Tower Grove Park more often than that. But both my parents were from, one was from southwest Missouri, one was from northwest Missouri. They, they really didn't want to live in the city. So we moved when I was six to West County, which back then it was called Ellisville. Ellisville only had a couple hundred people in it. It was very rural, and it was just unbelievably exciting for me. I, just, I spent as much time as I possibly could in the outdoors. So I got poison ivy. I got hornets tangled up in my hair that were stinging and biting and all kinds of different stuff in the outdoors. I just, I like the outdoors. I've always liked the outdoors. So as sort of life went on, I went into the Air Force, and I got discharged in the Air Force in March Air Force Base, and I stayed out in California. And at first I thought, because I was a surfer hippie student dude, that I would go into marine biology or something. And I just, I, I just didn't, it just didn't work. So I switched over to botany horticulture, and when I finished school, uh I couldn't find any kind of job that I really liked in California, so I sent a, a resume back to the Botanical Garden here with the idea I'd come back here, spend a few years, and then go back to California. So in 77, I moved back to St. Louis, started at, the woodland, uh, started at the Botanical Garden in the English Woodland Garden, and I spent four years there and then one year in the Climatron. And the reason why I wanted to spend a year in the Climatron, because when I was in sixth grade in Ellisville Elementary, we took a field trip to the Botanical Garden into the Climatron. That was the most totally overwhelming thing I'd ever experienced in my whole life. So then, you know, from that, then I started, you know, while I was at the Botanical Garden, I started teaching classes there. I taught at the community college at Merrimack, you know, taught horticulture. I've given lectures across the country because I was – business partners with somebody that we used to give you know talks all over the place we'd send you know direct mailing out to people and get all kinds of different people 
that come and listen to our sort of impression on things. So that's basically how it is. I got here at KMOX from the standpoint of when there used to be like rain out of baseball games and stuff, they'd have people come in and just infill those times. Now they do the sports and stuff like that. But, you know, 25 years ago, and actually a little bit prior to that, they, you know, would have people come down. And all of a sudden they realized that, boy, there was a lot of response when Mike Miller, meaning me, was here talking about plan material. And so even though these are like sports, you know, sports people and everything else. So then that's when they decided on Saturdays to start having a garden hotline. So that's kind of how the whole thing went. So anyway, it's just been a really enjoyable, you know, sort of time. I spend as much time as I possibly can outside still. I'm, you know, I hate to say this, and I do say this occasionally. I like plants better than people. I, you know, so I just, you know, it's just totally enjoyable to be in the outdoors no matter what's going on. Even when it's super cold, I still take walks early in the morning. And uh, I still, you know, for the last decade plus, I wear shorts because I want to really experience what's going on in the outdoors. So I'm nuts. I'm crazy. But it actually has worked out pretty good for me. So anyway, now let's go to Sterling. And Sterling is in Kirkwood. Hi, Sterling. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I have two questions. Okay. One is I have some oak trees that uh, normally produce bumper crops of acorns Mm -hmm. this year. I mean, there was nothing. Uh, I guess there's nothing to worry about. It's just maybe one of them things. Yeah, it can fluctuate weather-wise or who knows exactly what it was. When the oaks were in flower, there could have been something that happened right there in Kirkwood that's, you know, prevented the flowers from, you know, getting pollinated, could have killed the flowers or whatever, hailstorms or who knows what. But I wouldn't, if the foliage is good, if the plants look healthy, then don't worry by the fact that there was not as many acorns as you would expect, you know, in the previous year. Mm-hmm. And I, I have some crabgrass that's uh, developed along my driveway, and it's just kind of slowly moved out. Now there's like about a two-foot strip uh, along the driveway, and I was just wondering, uh, you know, I've had a lawn service to put down some pre-emergence and so forth, but right. uh, just doesn't seem to be stopping it, you know? Anything along a hardscape, like a sidewalk, a driveway, you know, anything at all around a patio, it is very, very difficult to get successful, let's say, regular lawn growing in that location because it is too hot. It reflects, you know, the heat and everything else and basically burns the ground. And that's why crabgrass and weeds can be very successful there because they can handle that situation. So if you've had crabgrass preventers put down and everything else and still not having any luck, I would say you might try it once more, but for the most part, you're going to end up right back where you are. Even if you got it under control, put some new sod down and everything else, and a few years after that. There's certain things you can butt your head against the wall as much as you want, but you're not going to get necessarily that situation solved. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that I could do, like with the the soil, to to help it uh, grass grow there? Or? Yeah, I mean, you could core aerate, put compost down, and everything else. But again, it's still going to be extremely hot. I don't know, you know, in the heat of the summertime, if you go out there and walk along your driveway on the edge with your bare feet, you can see how hot it gets. And that's yeah. just, I mean, it burns, you know, root systems of things like lawn because lawns. 
is really there's no lawn that's here that grows in, let's say, our part of the country successfully because we're in that transition zone where we're too far south for the cool cool season lawns and fescues and bluegrasses to do all that well. And we're too far north for the zoises to do all that well year-round with all our weather changes and everything else. So we're in that transition zone, and that just that's what really makes it very, very, very difficult to have a successful lawn here without you know constantly battling so many different things. Mm-hmm. Okay. So core array, put some compost down, you know, and what you could do is just every May, every September, put grass seed and just, uh, you know, enjoy it. And uh, that's about all you're going to be able to do. All right. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go to Lou in St. Louis. Hi, Lou. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I really enjoyed uh, listening to your curriculum vitae. <laughs> I'm, I'm also a, a former Air Force uh, member for four years in the 60s. And um, I kind of feel like you do, too. The more I know about some people, the better I like my plants. (laughs) (laughs) One of the guys I used to work with had a T-shirt that said, the more I learn about women, the better I like my horse. But I'm not that that way. But anyway, um, there are a lot of things I could mention, but I think I'll just say one thing. Uh, I listened to you about uh, the cut flowers and uh, how to prepare them. And um, I, I do that, and it, it usually works. But the last time I got um, um, a dozen yellow roses, cut flowers, um, I did all of that, but they only lasted a little while. But I think, it, well, I got it at a supermarket chain, and uh, they were, you know, on sale. Ah. The uh, the outer, some of the outer petals had a little brown on them. Ooh. And I think that's a sign that uh, they're not going to last long, no matter what you do. So I'm just wondering what you what you would say about that. I completely agree. So in other words, those flowers, the buds, you know, even if they were starting to open up, they were sort of past their prime. So in other words, they were getting old. That's probably why they were on sale. So yeah, definitely don't get any that are you know showing any kind of discoloration on the petals whatsoever. Right. Yeah, I, I learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> just, it's a good thing to pass along, though. You get what you pay for. Absolutely you know. right. So, well, I, I appreciate your uh, information on that. There, this is an exciting time um, for me too. I think um, you probably have this too in your genes somehow. My uh, maternal grandfather was was uh, really um, a gardener. He had no uh, grass. He grew vegetables and fruits in, in his entire um, yard, and. Um, I'm kind of like that too, and this is you know all these seed catalogs coming out now are really really exciting, really, really exciting for me. Um, Absolutely, and uh, it's hard to limit myself to just a certain number of seeds. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds great. Well, thanks, Lou, for calling in, and thanks for sharing. Yeah, you know, four years in the Air Force, uh, B-52s, uh, re- reading the uh, aerial strikes, so the air intelligence. That's what I spent. F- yeah, well, only three years and nine months because I got a three-month early out to go to school. And then uh, you never know where life's going to lead you. But thanks, Lou. Greatly appreciate it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Hey, Blues fans, Chris Kerber here. And the Blues return to action tonight, a Saturday night game in Columbus. 
a 5.30 pregame, a 6 o'clock face-off. Blues and Blue Jackets right here on the home for St. Louis Blues Hockey, KMOX. Let's go Blues! Ponybird, our KMOX February Voice of Caring partner, has been serving non-ambulatory individuals of all ages with intellectual and developmental disabilities for over 42 years. Visit kmwex.com slash caring for more info. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and we're headed into Ben's yard. Ben, how are you today? Doing good. So I've got a couple questions. The first one is basically uh, blackberries. Can I transplant them early spring when should i transplant you can transplant them now the garden centers are going to start having bare root blackberries also if you have blackberries that you just want to cut the older canes cut the bigger older canes down to about two to three inches right and, and that's what i'm doing i'm, I'm i've got a, a group if you will a set that i need to move locations and so I can do that now, or do I need to wait for it to warm up? I would probably, you could probably do it now because they're so tough. Just make sure where you're moving them to before you dig them up that that soil is prepared so you can just sort of dig them up and move them directly and, tra- and plant them into the new location. If you want to wait for another couple of weeks, you can, but you know, the berries are kind of tough, so I right. think you should be okay doing it. Beautiful. Uh, second question, I'll make it quick. Uh, the uh, super hots, they call them the Carolina Reapers and the such. Do you have much experience with them? No, I really don't. Okay. Well, I'm trying to establish a variety uh, in my uh, deceased father's name type thing. It takes seven years to do that. But my question was, is just in the the planting, you're supposed to get started early, so I was going to get them going today. Is it best to put those seeds in a napkin with water and such to try to get them to sprout first, or should I just put them in the cells with the dirt and, and just hope for the best? I would say put them directly into the potting mix for starting plants. Usually putting them in a napkin, napkin, what that does is if you have a whole lot of seeds and you're not sure if they're still viable, you put them in a wet napkin and just see if, they, you know, if they're going to do any kind of sprouting at all. To take them gotcha. from, if you sprout them and put in a napkin and then try to put them in the soil, I don't know if that's going to work. You could try it and you could call and let me know, but I usually don't you know, recommend doing that. I prefer to put them directly into the potting mix for starting you know, seeds. Perfect, perfect. Thank you for your show. I've been listening since uh, the late 80s, and uh, appreciate everything you do. Well, great. Well, thank you. And now let's go to Chuck in St. Louis County. Hi, Chuck. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have a, a cool-weather lawn that's not as thick as I would like it to be. Um, it's primarily fescue and bluegrass. Uh, I've had problems with crabgrass in the past. And I'm wondering what is the what's the best sequencing for putting down uh, pre-emergent and grass seed to uh, maximize my uh, uh, grass growth. Well, those two things don't go together. So yeah, so you can't. You have to decide what you're going to go after first. I would try to get my lawn thick, and then worry about getting the crabgrass under control in the future, or weeds, or things like that. So I would correlate. I would spread, you know, the premium gold, you know, compost over the top of the ground. That's for, you know the St. Louis composting stuff about a quarter to a half inch. Then I would put seed down, and then I put a seed starter type fertilizer on top of that. But I wouldn't do that. I would go to your favorite garden center and get a soil thermometer 
And the soil thermometer, wait until the soil temperature is about 50 degrees because that's the soil or that's the temperature that triggers seed germination. Okay. If you do put down a pre-emergent, how long do you have to wait before you seed? Some of them, you know, I mean, they could they could have a shadow effect. Some of them, it's only like, a, you know, let's say, three or four weeks. Some of them, it could be, you know, echo effect even longer than that. Okay. So, I mean, your crabgrass and stuff like that is... It's not going to germinate. It's going to start germinating the same time your grass seed does. So that's kind of where you know it's you're you're just taking a big chance. You're kind of let's say spinning your wheels potentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I mean, call. there in theory, there's pre-emergent. You can put seed down, but I don't believe it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. No, and I I was. You know, I was thinking that perhaps you you just wait, put down a pre-emergent uh, to kill any seed from the crabgrass, and then uh, wait a long a period of time, and then uh, and then put down a seed. For yeah, the, I mean, for usually it's long. about three to four weeks to be you know totally sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much. Yep, and then, again, if you're going to put the pre-emergent down, wait until the yellow forsythia is in bloom. That's when the soil temperatures are about fifty degrees. I just say get a soil thermometer so you can monitor this a little bit more precisely in case you don't have any forsythia, you know, in your yard or whatever. So thanks, Chuck. And now let's go to Joe in Belleville. Hi, Joe. Hey, Mike. Great show. Uh, I got two questions for you. Um, Hydrangeas, uh, when and how much should you trim those back? Depends upon the variety. If it's a PG hydrangea, that's one with the big, white, round, you know, flowers they bloom in the springtime. Other ones bloom later on. So it depends upon what variety that you actually have. Now, cutting off the spent flowers, you can pretty much do that anytime. But actually stem pruning and things like that, you could really mess up the whole you know, concept. With the PG, if you prune it, you're cutting off the potential flower buds for the springtime. So that means no flowers this time of year whatsoever or no flowers yeah, for this year. So Yeah. Well, and what's the other kind that come out there um – Different colors, you know, purple, pink. Yeah, those are like, you know, you know, there's several different types that, you know, I mean, there's some forever ones. There's the ones that are the blue hydrangeas and the pink hydrangeas, things like that. They usually bloom a little bit later. But uh, I would, you know, to me, the hydrangeas, other than cutting off the spin flowers, people prune them and, it, you know, it messes them up. So unless you absolutely have to prune, I wouldn't prune them. Oh, that's great. Hey, uh, one other question. Uh, I've, I've got a, a serious mold problem. I've got traps that I set all the time, but they don't even go off. A- any other suggestions to get rid of these things? The, that's the best thing to do is use the traps. They're there, and if they don't go off, it's because they're not using that tunnel. And they're not going to use the tunnels in the wintertime because they're hibernated, the ground's too cold, and their main food source is earthworms. And earthworms are going to go deeper down into the soil in the wintertime. And so consequently, you know, the moles don't even go looking until the soil starts warming up. So just watch for the tunnels to pop up on the surface, and that's the best time you can start setting the traps out. Appreciate it. Great show. Thanks for your service to our country, and have a great day. Well, thank you. And now let's go to Sue and Eureka. Sue, you're going to be our last caller. Okay, just wanted you to know that I, I always frowned on cut flowers because I enjoyed them naturally growing as much or much better. But I was I was um, doomed to be indoors this fall around the holidays, and my sons brought me bouquets of flowers. Wow. And 
and I ha- they have done so much. These, these little bouquets of flowers have done so much to perk me up that I now buy myself a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> so I all I all well. You know, it can help depression. Absolutely. I mean, it brings the outdoors in, right. and they're and they're and they're just beautiful. And uh, and I cut them as you say, you know, um, whatever. And 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 another thing, I I don't have to worry about pruning anything because the deer have done a wonderful job of that this year. <laughs> yeah. So so I don't have to prune a thing, and I just have to hope that some of the things come back. Right. So, That's great. Love, love your show. Listen to you all the time. Well, thanks, Sue. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, and the neat thing, too, about cut flowers is you get flowers we can't grow outside here, even as annuals or anything else. So you can have some stuff that is totally wild, totally exotic, you know, besides, you know, it's just it's just neat. Cut flowers are really nice. So anyway, thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for having me on your show. And I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.